0: Um, we've been talking, we're kind of in the middle of Exodus talking about the way and and what it means for God to lead his people in the way. And um, <clears throat> I don't know, the more I read over this middle part of, well, especially this middle part of Exodus, especially how God begins the journey with, with Israel, the more I just really love to, um, I, I love to see what he's doing with them. And, and how he's doing it. Um, the last time we focused on, uh, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, but again, kind of seeing that as God revealing. God does this incredible work. He puts them into his son. He puts them into the, the, you know, in the Exodus chapter 12, puts them into the Lamb. He, 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 wait, he has them slay the lamb, paint the blood over their doors, enter into the blood, enter into the, that, that, uh, that picture there of entering into death, eating the dead lamb, and then coming out in the light of a new day. And, and that's our, as we mentioned there, that's our baptism into Christ's death. That's not, that's not Christ dying so that we don't have to, that's us being placed into baptized into that death so that we are crucified with Christ that we are uh, buried with him and that that he then arises out from among the dead as our resurrection and our life and we've talked a whole lot about that I just always want to emphasize that because there's really no point in talking about the way if we miss the if we miss that death if we miss the fact that we were p- placed into that death um, then we 've missed everything because uh why is that so important because if you don't see that you were the one crucified with Christ and that he is the life that now lives in you, then everything else in your Christianity is going to be you trying to live for him, which is the, exactly the the whole predicament that uh Christ came to to solve through putting us to death i mean that's the that's the issue that was the whole that's why the law was weak the law was weak because of the flesh the flesh couldn't do the law and so jesus comes and doesn't just forgive our sins although that's part of the new covenant but he crucifies us with himself and then gives us a whole different life first giving us a death and giving us a life so I say that it's it's worth it's you know the 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 possibility of sounding repetitive for me is it's worth that to make sure that when we're talking about the way what is the way well we've been seeing that the way is the revealing of the one who is our life. They were put into death. They were baptized into death. And they, in a, in a, in a sense, you could say they didn't come up. They didn't, they didn't rise again. Christ rose and offered himself to be their resurrection and their life. And so their souls come out of, um, come out of Egypt, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And, and so, what must God do to the human soul to show, uh, to show them the way in which they must learn to walk? Well, He needs to reveal, He needs to make known to them, make manifest to them, the one who is their new life. If Christ is their life, Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Therefore, whenever Christ, your life is revealed, you're revealed together with Him in glory. If, if you want to know where you are and what you are and what God has made you, then Christ, who is your life, has to be revealed. Then you'll see yourself where you are, what you are, according to the one who is your life. And that's exactly what is going on in this, in this story. And, and that the, 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 The way that it's uh, jumping out to me, it's, it's, it's. uh, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like every time you go, you read through it, it just gets gets a little clearer. And, and, and uh, this is just super, um, super clear in my heart right now. Just how, how that's what is God doing right after He creates this, a picture of this this covenant creation uh, in Israel, Israel, my son. What is He doing? he is teaching them his son he's letting them have all kinds of needs and then he's revealing christ as the answer to all of those needs and that's what i want to look at tonight in some of these some of these events but the big picture is that the way isn't something that christ points to and shows you it's something that he is. It's it's not even a way that he lets you go in a sense, uh, because walking in the way will be will be to you the end of what you've called your life. It's not a way that he just opens for you and 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 he doesn't just give you a map or, or show you, point you in a direction <clears throat> or give you a new way to live your life now that you're a Christian. That's not what this is about. The way is the actual person who has been deposited in your soul at, at new birth. And the way forward, and it's, I know I know that this sounds so impractical to so many uh, Christians. I, I get comments like that all the time. It's just not practical. It's not because the reason it sounds so impractical to us is because we're so used to someone telling us what the way is, so that we can live it, so that we can do it, so that we can find the three three keys and the seven steps and, and apply them to our natural lives, which is exactly the opposite of everything that God is trying to do in you and will keep you in bondage for the rest of your life god isn't trying to teach you how to live a certain way he's trying to reveal in you the one who is the way and your way forward in spiritual growth or in 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 um Growing up into the fullness of him who is the head in all things or whatever way you want to look at the spiritual growth, knowing even as you are known, you know, apprehending that for which you have been apprehended of God. There's a bunch of different ways that Paul describes spiritual growth or John or whoever um, or, or Jesus, you know, abiding in the vine and bearing fruit, whatever that that reality is going to happen in a particular way. There's a way forward. There's a way on. There's a way to continue. And the way is, again, the way is the revealing of the person who is your life because you don't know him. You don't know him. That's been like thundering in my heart (laughs) recently. More, uh, just when you think you know something, the Lord just, just rocks your heart with that, that, that realization at a new level or a new, a new reality. You don't know him. You have seen a few glimpses. You've caught some light has has shone in your heart. There's so much that you don't know of him. And so what is what does he do? He does this incredibly kind and wonderful thing. He lets you feel the the these needs that you cannot you can't meet them. And then In the presence of that need, he then reveals Christ as the food that you can't create or you can't supply and the drink that you can't, you can't find anywhere else. He starts to reveal Christ in all these little ways in your heart and you grumble and you complain and you misunderstand and yet God doesn't change his pattern he doesn't change his way for you he, he just leads you in the way no matter how much you grumble the way forward the, the way in every little detail of the of the exodus was the revealing of christ as what as everything that he was showing them revealing of christ as the parting of the red sea revealing of christ as the bread from heaven as the water from the rock as the as the mountain into which they saw they they, they, they rose up in, into and ate and drank and saw god he, cr- revealing christ as the high priest revealing christ as the ark as the as the as the tabernacle of god as the as the branch, or as the staff that that grew almond branches and came alive from the dead, revealing Christ as the serpent on the staff, revealing. I mean, it just that's what he and Jesus even says. At least grabs a handful of these and says, "That's me. That that was me." He doesn't. He doesn't even leave you to guess about it. He just says, "Remember this. That was me. He he was showing you me." And all of those things are in response to the need of the Of the soul, whether that's snake bite or hunger or whatever it was or sin in the camp or what whatever it, it it is, God has one remedy, God has one solution, and it is the showing forth the the making known the revealing of jesus christ that's the that's the one solution that God offers in all of these situations i don 't know about you guys, I just absolutely love that right now. I feel like I could just repeat that uh for the next half an hour, and I'd be really content with with that uh personally but um so the way <laughs> I'm trying to get into my notes here the way is a person the way that God brings you as a believer is has to do with learning Christ as a new life that you don't know as a new light that you've never seen with before, as a new nature that you've been made participants, or you've been given to partake of that nature. And it's a nature that's 100% foreign to to the nature that you... You've used some of the words um, of the Bible, maybe, to describe your own nature, like... Love or good or wise and, and, and yet you, you, you've, you realize you've misapplied those words. You didn't know what those words meant or you never would have applied them to yourself. It's a different nature. There's a new purpose. You don't know it. And so the, the way in which God leads you is always a leaving behind of one world, one Name one country kindred in father's house. One light, one one light that was really darkness. One na- one nature that was contrary to God and 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 void of His image. One, a, a nature that had lost His image long ago. And hadn't carried it since the day a lie. And and so Christ, then is you know so in, in, people people sometimes you know want to know what what is God wanting from me what's God's will for my life I can tell you you don't you can save your money on the books I'll just tell you right now I'll tell you what God wants for you He wants to reveal Jesus Christ in your soul that's what he wants He wants you to walk in the light of the life of Christ He wants to first give you that life if you don't have it and then he wants to reveal it in you as the fullness of everything that He desires from you. He gives you what He wants and the only way you'll walk in it is if He opens the eyes of your understanding and shows you the the, the true expectation of your calling which is Christ in you. The expectation of glory. His glory in you. So. I I stress these things uh, partly just because I feel like the Lord's stressing them in my heart. Just just once again, I feel like it, I always, always bringing me back around. No matter how much I've seen or, or or shared or whatever, always bringing my heart back around, and always just like this. This I'm not talking about a vision or an actual audible voice or anything, but just this realization in my heart. Jason, you have never gone this way before jason this is always new it's you you're you are ignorance into which i must speak words of life you are darkness into which i must shine and i know that's true i know that's true of me and i just i want i i welcome that now so i feel like god is guiding us in his way and i feel like the way that he is guiding us in is the fulfillment of every single picture um that we see in in this story and and the thing that they didn't understand and the thing that we don't understand is that they began their journey outside when they were already out of Egypt, okay? They began their journey perfectly ignorant of what? Of everything. They had a salvation, that, but they didn't know their salvation. They had a redemption. They didn't know the redemption. They had a Savior. They had no idea who He was. They, they, they and, and, and they assumed. They started to assume just like Christians do. As soon as we get saved, we think we know what pleases God. We think we know what the mind of the Lord is. We think that the will of God is just a simple list of do's and don'ts. We think the purpose of God are, are five things that we can write down in a notebook. We, we, we don't have a clue we're, we're so ignorant and the- Dumbest thing in, in the world that we could possibly do is try to use the mind that we used in Egypt to try to understand the things of God and that's that's what God is dealing with these people about they don't know that they're rebellious and stiff necked he's trying to show them they don't know that they're bitten by a snake and God's trying to show them the way out of that they don't know that, what true food is and God's trying to reveal it they don't know what, what real drink is and God's trying to show them they have no idea what the relationship is they're in. And so God's trying to make it obvious to them in a multitude of types and shadows and pictures and ceremonies and laws. They have no clue how to define or understand their relationship of God and Christ. They're totally blind to it. And God's giving them one picture after another picture. And we, to this day, we don't even know what those things are pictures of, and it. It's it's so sad. We just say, I'm glad I'm not in the Old Covenant because I don't have to kill goats or something. We don't even know that those are the pictures of the things into which we have been born anew of spirit. And every single one of them applies in a far greater way to our soul than it ever did to their flesh. We don't know, they, they didn't know the purpose for which God brought them out. They didn't know the image of God. They, they tried to make their own image of him saying this is the God that brought us out of Egypt and it was a, it was a golden calf. They didn't know anything. But what's the answer? What's the answer to all of this ignorance? What's the answer to every single thing that they didn't know? Well, I'm going to say it again. It was with them and with us. The revealing of Jesus Christ in their covenant, in outward pictures and shadows and types. In our covenant, the actual revealing of the Son of God in you. That's the mystery that all of these pictures and shadows and types pointed to. You can sum it up in this one little statement, Colossians 1.27. Here's the mystery promised beforehand spoken of by the prophets lived out in types and shadows by the fathers spoken in many portions and many ways Hebrew chapter what is it what what's the what is it what's it all talking about here it is christ in you christ in you and and and, and someone who's ignorant would say well i i've known christ has been in me since i was 7 years old and got saved at bible camp okay Knowing Christ is in you and knowing the Christ who is in you are two totally different things. And if you knew even the, the, the fringes of the Christ who is in you, you would never say, I've known he's in me for the last 30 years. You couldn't, you couldn't, those words couldn't come out of your lips because it would be such a, a declaration of ignorance. And, and silliness, you just fall on your face and say, "Father, reveal your Son in me," because that's the only thing that makes sense. When you begin to see the 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 the, the beginnings of Christ, the beginnings of who He really is, so they start in this condition of ignorance. What kind of ignorance? An ignorance that is that is perfectly dark. It, it's, it's an ignorance much like what Jesus said. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great... If what you're using for light is darkness, you're in a really bad situation. You're in total darkness. How great is the darkness? So it, it, it's like... God has brought them out. He's done a very great thing. He, he, he's kind of, in a sense, you could say he's made a new creation out of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. Now there are covenant people, uh, uh, you know, unbeatable, uh, and, and pure in God's eyes in, in the wilderness. Well, what, what's, the, what's the issue? It's just like the natural creation. What does it say in Genesis chapter one? I think it's verse three. It says that the, God made this, he, the heavens and the earth, and yet the, this thing that he made, it was good, but it lacked it lacked something. What did it lack? It lacked light, it was dark, it was without form, and it was void. That is this that's the original condition of uh of, of the new creation in Christ too. It's the, the, the original condition of the old creation, the it's the original condition of Israel, the covenant creation of God, that's a picture both of which the natural creation and the covenant creation of God are pictures of the new creation which which is in Christ. But they both started the same way. And Jeremiah even says, uh, in Jeremiah chapter um, 7, uh, says, God looked upon his people and he said, it's the same thing. He said they they are formless and void and without light or something like that. Where is it? I'm going to look that up because that's a, I could be totally butchering that. I think it says that. Something. Jeremiah 4, there it is. 4.23 4.23 What's wrong about this? 4.23 Speaking of Israel, he said he says, for my people are foolish they have not known me, they are all silly children, they have no understanding they're wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth and it was indeed without form and void, and the heavens and the heavens, they had no light. And he's describing his people, and he often, often refers to them as that kind, of, kind of like his heavens and earth, and and he, 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 goes on and talks about, I, I beheld and indeed there was no man. And, and he, he kind of compares the condition of the, of, of Israel with the original condition of the natural creation. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. You put it on there, Becky, for me. <laughs> I didn't see that. I had my, uh, I had my, uh, uh, program, my Bible program open, but you had it for me there. Thanks. So, um, so you know, and so what does what does God do with the with the original natural creation? He begins to he begins to you could say uh, he begins to reveal Christ in it. He begins to bring these things that are all pictures of Christ. Starting with light, he says, "Let there be light." I got to add something. I have this new creation, but the first thing, let's get first things first. It needs light. It has no light, and then. Uh, and then you see a seed. Then there's, there's the increase according to the seed, and then and then there's this man that you find, and there's a state of rest, and it all leads to this glory. Uh, all these things that God is, is kind of adding and showing and revealing in His creation, bringing forth in His creation, so that uh, you have this um, this state of glory, and that's exactly what God desires to do with uh, the with Israel and types and shadows and with you and I in spirit and truth. But again, they they don't realize and here's the issue. They don't realize they're they're not only that they're not only in, you know, without light form and and void. They're they're that, but but they don't even want to recognize that. They don't want to even admit that. They they're actually rebelling against the the things that God is trying to show them. So, okay, anyway, getting back into the scriptures here. Verse, uh, let's see, fifteen twenty-two. Let me look at this here. Exodus 15. All right, so it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out uh, into the wilderness of Shur, and they went 3 days in the wilderness and found no water now when they came to marah they could not drink the waters of marah for they were bitter therefore the name of it is called marah and um and the people complained against moses saying what shall we drink so he cried out to the lord and the lord showed him a tree this is it he cried out to the lord and the lord showed him a tree now that's an interesting thing to say he didn't say go find a tree he didn't say you know, Moses stumbled across a tree or the Lord showed him a tree which he cast into the waters and the waters were changed the waters became sweet now this is a really weird story it, it, it can be just if 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 you let it it can just be another one of those weird Old Testament stories that makes no sense and you can't figure out how to make a kid's church lesson out of it if you want to just leave it at that but if you stop and think about it for a second there's some really unusual things about this story Uh right after immediately after saving them from Egypt and parting the Red sea and destroying all the Egyptians and they do this they spend all of chapter 15 dancing around and singing the song of Moses and the song of the lamb you know uh, they right after that God lets them just get thirsty for three days I think that's kind of weird in and of itself and and, and yet I think it's so telling I think it's so interesting that that the very first thing like he, he could have he could have taken him up onto Mount Sinai right away, or he could have um, had him build the tabernacle, or he could have just brought him into the land, or he could have, there's a million things he could have done, and he doesn't. The first thing he does, I mean he could have had water shooting out of the sky, he could have done anything, but he does something else, he does something really interesting, he just lets them feel their thirst. Why is he doing that? Well, I, think, I think it has to do with what we've been talking about. I think it has to do with the fact that he lets them face their own needs, their own lack of resources, their own uh, failure, their own inability to supply for themselves. And then, or so that, maybe it's better to say, so that he can then reveal himself as true water or true food now this isn't just talking about natural needs and how god is our god is our uh provision i mean he he could have shown that he could have given a ton of pictures of just being a natural provider with he didn't have to reveal a tree and throw it into the water for him to show that you know that, those details would have been completely superfluous, and maybe they are superfluous in the minds of a lot of people. But as we as we go through here, see, there's a whole lot of details here that have to do with the revealing of Christ. They can't have to do with anything else. It's not just God said, "Okay, when you pray, I'll make it rain." You know that maybe you could take that for God as our natural provider. That's not what happened here. He would let them get thirsty, and then. Uh, they, they, they need to face that they have a whole lot more than just natural needs here, and that He has a whole lot more than just a natural supply. And, <clears throat> he never gives them what they're looking for according to their understanding of their need. He doesn't just, again, He doesn't just give them regular water. He gives them, He reveals Christ as the solution. He, 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 he and they, and even when they find water, they can't even drink it until God shows them a tree, shows them a cross that they have to throw into the water to make it drinkable. This, this is. Let me just jump ahead here. I'm going to get several jump suddenly. Uh, we're going to be like three years ahead, and we'll jump back again. But in Deuteronomy chapter eight, let's just read this verse here. Deuteronomy eight. Look at this verse three. He humbled you. And he allowed you, this is verse, yeah, 8 verse 3. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. It was something totally foreign to you. Why? Why did he do it? So that you would learn something. So that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I just find that to be just such an interesting statement he let you feel hunger so that he could reveal to you that you don't even live by bread alone he he, but but you reveal i mean you live by that which proceeds from the mouth of god i just that that's exactly what i see happening here and that's that's what happens with the the manna and that's what he's referring to that he's referring to the manna there and and that's the very next thing you see is that god uh a few days later they're grumbling grumbling again uh they're grumbling according to their own expectations they're going they're grumbling a uh, Based upon their own ideas of what this relationship's what what this relationship's about and what it should entail, they they have a bunch of expectations that they brought with them into this relationship. Just as every Christian does when they when they're born again, they just think, "Well, I thought that. I thought that. You know, if God's so good, how come He allowed me to have? You know, we always everyone says all these things." And it's all a 100%. It's not based on the revealing of Christ in your soul. It's based on all the imaginations from Egypt that you've dragged into your relationship with Christ. And so you start out thinking, well, you know, why did this bad thing happen to good people? And how come if God loves me, then this happened? And how come, you know, I can't – how come he lets all these people – I don't know, make fun of me, or how come there's no revival in my city, or why can't I be a Bible teacher, or why is my church splitting, and why did my pastor do I mean, We have all these expectations, most of which have nothing to do with what God's trying to do in your heart, and everything to do with the Egyptian expectations that you've dragged over into Christ in the unrenewed mind. And you just keep grumbling before the Lord, and a lot of our prayers are really not much more than grumbling. Uh, at least that's how they start. And, and, and so the Lord understands that they're totally ignorant. They don't understand. If they would have just understood that, then He would have very quickly been able to teach them. But they don't understand the true nature of their hunger or their thirst. And so God says, okay, you're hungry. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you food. But it's not. It's again. It's not just any normal food. It's not any. It's not a natural. It's not a hamburger, or it's something totally foreign. It's something, and it's a very strange. It's not only is it a totally foreign food. It's a very strange relationship that he he establishes with the food. First of all. It's a food that he specifies over and over again. If you read throughout the Old Testament, whenever God mentions the manna, I think it's every time. It could, it, maybe, it, maybe there's an exception, but I think whenever he mentions the manna, he says, um, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. He makes a point to, it's almost like that's part of the name, because the name of the manna means, what is it? That's why they called it manna, because that, because it says, it says that in this, in this, in this section. It says they called it manna before they said, what is it? And, and so it's totally foreign to them. It's something totally contrary to what they've understood food to be or what they've experienced where food comes from or, or how food even works. I mean, it, it's weird because it's, it's there in the morning and then the sun gets hot and it melts. That's, that's strange. And, and, and there's all these un, unusual things about it. It comes from heaven. That is, it comes down from heaven and, and therefore it's not of the earth. It's, it's a, it's strange in that you can always eat – I read over this part where descri- I don't. I don't even understand exactly what it means. But it, it, as far as I can tell, they could gather as much as they wanted according to their hunger and they would never have an excess and they would never have lack. And so like it was provided for them. They could get as much as they want and they could eat it according to their hunger each man could eat according to his hunger and yet there was always exactly enough there was always exactly the amount that corresponded to your appetite that's really strange um it's like every single morning they you know can, can you imagine that getting up and, and going and get, going out and collecting your manna and you, it just how how strange it would be every day you're like oh i could not eat one more bite and then you look down and you're like oh th- well, i don't have another bite you know that's That's perfect, you know. And then having that happen every single day, like, oh, I'm totally full. I can't. Do you want some of my manna? No, I'm stuck. My manna's gone, you know. And and just over and over and over again, forty years of everyone having exactly how how much they would eat. And and the people that gathered little didn't have too little, and the people that gathered tons didn't have too much. That's a really strange relationship with food. I don't think any of us have that kind of relationship with food. Some of us probably wish we did, but, but nobody has that relationship with food now. That you always have exactly the amount that corresponds to your hunger. Alright, well, here's another thing that's weird about this food. You couldn't keep it you couldn't put it in any of your own natural storage or, or you couldn't hold on to it according to your own will or according to your own usage or according to your own desires because it would, it would become useless. It was only useful in the present feeding upon it. You see what I'm saying? It was only useful when you were eating it at the time you were hungry. It wasn't useful three hours later when you set it apart. You know, it wasn't useful the next morning, especially because it grew worms and, and, and mold and maggots. You couldn't store it in the, in the natural, you had to be, to be benefiting from, I'm trying to spit this out, to benefit from it, you had to be actually currently eating it according to your own hunger. That's the only way. You couldn't set it up for later. That's exactly how Christ works in your soul. That is precisely what he does with you. Your present eating of Christ is the Whatever you remember from yesterday isn't actually helping you right now. Not really. I mean, maybe you memorized a verse, but... that's actually not benefiting you unless that verse is a living real a present living reality in your heart and and so this is this is a strange thing about manna you you always have what what you're eating currently is always the perfect amount according to your appetite and and though your appetite can increase, but you'll never have lack. Or your appetite can decrease, and, and 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 you'll never have too much. It'll be, but it's but it's only good for the present day. It's only good in that day. And there's uh, there's other things about it. The fact that it it ab- it abounded or or it was provided for you while you rested. In other words, you don't even have, on the Sabbath day. You didn't even have to gather it. it he made it work he made it last for you uh he he made the provision of the bread last while you just rested in this in this day where no man can add labor or no man can produce anything uh of of himself and anyway there's there's if you just read through this chapter slowly and just kind of noticing it we we're so used to the stories cuz we heard them a lot of us did at least from when we were kids we don't stop and say that's a really weird that's a really weird detail. That doesn't even make any natural sense at all, and and that's because it's pointing to an aspect, of, a, a, a reality of of our relationship with God and Christ. So, God lets them hunger, and then He He doesn't. Just like the water, he shows them a tree. He shows them a completely foreign type of food. It reminds me of Jesus in John chapter four. They say, "You know, Master, you you need to eat." And he says, "I have food that you know nothing of." It's the same. It's the same idea. You don't know it, nor your fathers. You've never seen the kind. Jesus could have said he could have quoted this thing from, or maybe he was quoting it from from uh, Exodus sixteen. I have I have food that you don't know anything about. And your fathers have not known it either. Alright, well then, uh, and then, then this one, oh, I'm going really slow, but uh, I'm gonna skip ahead here to chapter 17. I'm gonna go back and deal with the Sabbath maybe next time or something, but I'm gonna skip over just to kind of stay in this, uh, this particular theme here of, of him, uh, them having desires or, or needs or fears and God revealing Christ um the 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 same thing happens again with with thirst in um the beginning of chapter 17 here and and again, and again Israel always has the same complaint it's like it's like they were they're like a one trick pony they 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 just always say the same thing here it is verse uh, 3 and the people thirsted there for water and and the people complained against Moses and said why is it you have brought i mean this must have been like so um I don't know, so annoying for Moses to constantly hear this exact same thing for, for the following 40 years. Why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, they always say the same thing. All the way till when they refused to go on the land. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Did you do it to kill us and our children with these giants in the land or why did you bring us out? And over and over again, it's the same thing. But, but what it speaks of to me is that what th- their understanding of their understanding of what God was doing with them was, to them it was death. It was it was the fragrance of life to some, Caleb and Joshua. It was the same exact relationship in reality was the fragrance of death to them. When they sniffed what God was showing them and, and doing with them, it felt like death. And it felt like death so much to them that they wanted to run back and hide in this land that f- from a heavenly point of view represented slavery and death. They wanted to go back into what really was death to hide from this death that, that God was presenting before them. And, and, and so they weren't learning. So here, here it is again. And then, and then the Lord says to Moses, I don't know why this, um, there's a little phrase in here that I don't know if I ever noticed before, uh, recently. Um, I'm going to read here, verse five and six. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand. Now again, we're familiar with the story, but God could have just made it rain. You know, he could have just, he could have just had one of the people stumble upon a spring. He could have made them just dig a well. That's not, but that's not what happened. So however familiar you are with this story, just try to, Try to forget what you've learned about this and just think about how strange this is. There's a bunch of people wanting to stone Moses, thinking that he wants to kill them. And there's a whole lot of ways that God could have dealt with this situation, but this is what he does. He says, grab the rod with which you struck the river, speaking of the, the, uh, the Nile, that it would turn, where he turned the water of the Nile into blood. Go grab that same rod the one that you struck the river, and and go, and I'm going to stand before you on a rock. So God is going to be standing right in front of Moses on this rock. And the rock is Christ. The rock's always Christ. But God himself says he's going to be on the rock that, that Moses is going to hit. And he says, so I'm going to stand there on the rock and you're going to hit the rock. And then out of that rock, which incidentally, is impossible. But out of that rock is gonna flow so much water that six hundred thousand men, not speaking of children and and and, and women, are gonna be able to drink from this from this rock. And so Moses did that in the sight of the elders of, of Israel and all the people drank. Well um, first of all it it strikes me that God specified that uh the rod that he was to use is the same one that the blood came out of first. First, the blood that the rod, as we've looked at before in all these pictures, the rod is always the, the cross. Whether it's whether it's the the rod turning into the serpent, and swallowing up the rest of the serpents, or whether it's the rod that's lifted up and spreads the Red Sea, or out of the, all the judgments coming out of the rod, or the serpent on the rod, or the rod that buds—all of these are, are pictures of the or the rod or the tree or whatever they throw into the water it's all the same thing that that this these are just various pictures of the cross as the solution as far as i can see and 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 i feel like that's becoming more more clear and not less um and so here's the rod again and yet um it's the rod the blood count comes out of the rod first or the blood the the rod is the the brings forth this judgment this bloody judgment first and now the same rod go take the rod with which you struck the Nile River now rather than bring forth blood it's going to bring forth life rather than bring forth death and judgment it's going to bring forth life for these people but but you have to strike the rock to get this thing to work you have to actually strike me you have to uh, you have i'm gonna be the one this is just like isaiah fifty three you know I pleased the Lord to strike him or to crush him, but out from that striking flows rivers of living water flows the blood and the water, not the blood i mean not the water only but the blood and the water there's judge this is what John says in first John now it's not only the water it's the blood and the water there's two sides to this thing and so um I just think it's really interesting that he specifies that that the the rod is that which brought blood before water. And then <clears throat> and then just that uh it's it says the part that I hadn't really noticed um or maybe it just hadn't jumped out at me was just how God says I'm going to stand before you on the rock while you're hitting it. Um I just think that's really interesting and I wonder if that sheds some light on On why God, um, having done that, having struck the rock and bringing forth the water, later on God tells Moses to speak to to a rock and have it bring forth water. And Moses um, strikes it again for the second time and God becomes very angry at that. And I I wonder if that has to do with um, kind of uh, messing up the picture of Christ, um, crucifying again to him, you know. Uh, the Son of God, or, or uh, you know, I haven't seen that clearly. It just kind of, it just kind of is, is interesting to me. That when Moses was only supposed to speak to it, so that rock, so that the rock would bring forth water, he goes over to it with a staff grabs a staff again, and whacks it a few times. So, um, yeah, we're kind of out of time. The next one here, I'll just mention real quick, is just Christ. Christ is revealed. They're about to get attacked by these people. The people uh, by the. What are the Amalekites or, and, and the, the people are afraid and then the, there's this other picture again with the staff involved of Moses going up on the mountain and, and while his hands are up on the mountain, they cannot be defeated. And when his hands fall down, they get pushed back by the Amalekites. And again, there's a lot of ways to win a, a battle, but this one is clearly involving god dealing with the situation dealing with their in this case their lack of power their lack their inability to win the victory to destroy the flesh to put to death the uncircumcised flesh um, by revealing a particular view of christ so i'll stop with that i'll kind of go back a little bit and catch a couple things that i jumped over real quick next time but we can uh